Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of Pitch KC, covering the best, the worst, and everything in between of our great city. I am your host, Brock Wilbur. I'm the editor-in-chief at The Pitch. Uh, wow. Uh, the, the day's finally here. Today is the day that the city, uh, air quote, uh, reopens. Uh, so, uh, boy, let's see, let's see how we handle this. Uh, last week, on Wednesday, we had a soft opening, which was allowing some businesses to get back into the swing of things while keeping some of the places that, obviously, people needn't go to yet uh, out of the picture. Uh, and on Friday, it's sort of up to everyone whether or not they want to go back into business. Uh, there are a number of those businesses that, um, not to be uh, not to be a Debbie Downer, but I'm, I'm not sure how essential you are. Um, we did see an announcement that uh, one of the local uh, escape room places is uh, opening up on Friday. And not to begrudge them or their business, but I, I can't imagine getting together with seven friends today uh, and, uh, and and for entertainment purposes, locking myself in a small room for an extended period of time. It just doesn't seem that fun. And an escape room is also a room where you are meant to, to touch everything, every surface. So uh, they've they've said that they're going to wipe down between uh, guests coming in, and, and I wish them all the best with that. I do love a good escape room room uh my sister is a huge fan uh my wife is not she doesn't really get it uh we <laughs> we did one together and it was uh, a very frustrating experience for all involved because she just didn't understand the story of what we were trying to do the rest of us had done one before so we understood like well it's time to find a hidden number somewhere and turn on a television and she was like i don't understand why we're on a riverboat and what we're supposed to be accomplishing i was like it's just it's just weird fun math we just got to figure out a bunch of a bunch of puzzles and that, that'll be fun so you know what i've actually talked myself into wanting to go back and giving her a second chance not today not today though uh it's really interesting to see what sort of plans everyone has and which plans overlap with good ideas and which plans seem just scattershot. The uh, the best plans that I'm seeing uh, from the city, the from people we've been looking at this week, are a number of the restaurants. Some of these restaurants have just incredible protections in place, and I'm sure that there are others that we'll see very quickly just uh, don't want to play ball. I, I assume that we'll see some of that. Uh, but there are a number that have, have really figured this out where it's going to be a reservation-based system for eating indoors. Uh, you aren't allowed to leave your car and come in and to wait until, you know, your time is there. Uh, food will be something that you have to pick up yourself, not brought to you at your table so that no one touches that. Uh, instead of menus, there will be QR codes that you scan. Like there's a, I understand that not every restaurant can adopt a QR code based system, but I find that wildly interesting and, and it's not that, that big of an ask. Uh, and, and boy, you start to consider that it, you might not be touching any surfaces at that point. And that's incredible. It's, it's us doing as best we can, uh, to go out into the world, to, to be having, having lives again and, and having little adventures, uh, without getting anyone sick, hopefully. Uh, and, uh, if people do start getting sick, as has happened elsewhere in the country and around the world, we can always go back inside for a while. We might, we might be in danger of doing that, uh, in, uh, in Korea, uh, South Korea, uh, last week, 
uh, a man went bar hopping after they opened their bars up. He went to five bars in one night, just one man, uh, just one man, one night in his bar hopping. Uh, and he got so many people sick that the country has shut down again for 30 days. So that's my fear is that just one of us has a little too much fun. And then uh, we're all back inside for a month, which uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll make the calls as it comes to it, but that would be a, a frustrating, frustrating way to go back. Uh, we are really excited this week to have Jeremy Danner on the show. Jeremy is the face of Four Hands Brewing. Uh, just an all-around great guy that I love talking to. He has a podcast. He has uh, a kid that is just the cutest darn thing. Uh, so we're going to talk to him here in a few minutes. But first up, as always, it's Nick's Music Corner. Take it away, Nick. Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Benefit songs or songs written to commemorate a tragic event can easily come across as mawkish or maudlin. Look to We Are the World, Bruce Springsteen's The Rising, or the recent Jim James, Will Oldham, at all creation, Lift Up Louisville, and you can hear songs with great intent but cringeworthy execution. Thus, the David George penned When We All Come Together is a wonderful surprise. Featuring over 100 musicians, it's nothing short of an amazing technical achievement, but thanks to the Brian Lynn orchestral arrangements and a guest verse from rapper Kadesh Flow, the end result is uplifting in tone and legitimately catchy in execution. Think of it being like Illinois-era Sufjan Stevens, but taken to the nth degree. Listing all of the musicians involved would take longer than the entire podcast, so check it out on YouTube for all the talent, and when you're done, consider donating to the Midwest Music Foundation, for whom the song and video were created, in order to help the KC music community. Rolling. Thank you. Share the light with the world around us. 
even when I feel debilitated. I might be down, but I refuse to submit to hatred. We might disagree, but the human bond we share is sacred. Let's sail off into the distance of imagination. Sending virtual hugs to battle and patience. It'll be over when I don't know, but here's a show of love that blows again. I know it sucks to feel trapped in here of hope again. It puts the lotion on its skin against the hose again. But push your thoughts aside and feel your heart opening. Embrace love and let it rope you in. Look about your back like a chiropractor. Lumbar roll, though right now but feel so far gone. We press on when we come together. Yeah. And now, here's my conversation with Jeremy Danner. Jeremy Danner, how are you today? I'm good, man. Thank you. Would you like to tell the audience who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm the forehands uh, on-premise specialist for the Kansas City area, which is a fancy way of saying I'm a sales guy. And, then and what I'm... is forehands for people that might not know? Sure. So uh, forehands is a uh, craft brewery based out of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. We've been around since late 2011. And uh, so I'm their sales guy, and then I'm also uh, a brand ambassador. So when things are normal, I, I travel and do events to kind of represent the brewery to the public and sort of put a friendly face on the beer is, is one of my goals. You are the, the face of, of beer, and, and that is a, a, a career that you've held for a while now, which is, uh, which is fascinating. It's not one of those things I ever considered, because in Los Angeles, it's uh, very pretty, very tall Russian girls uh, trying to get you to drink vodka at a nightclub. And you're sort of the opposite end of that. I am none of those things. Yes, you are none of those <laughs> things. You, 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 I think you could put off a Russian vibe if you wanted to. You, yeah. you have it. <laughs> I'm tall. Yeah. But yeah. No, it's. I, um, I think we would a, have fun in a nightclub together, uh, but that feels like it's more of a bachelor party situation, which neither of us should probably engage in. No, I don't want to go back to my bachelor party, man. I am not interested in reliving that at all. How? What was wrong with your bachelor party? You know, I uh, I am not a uh, a fan of the strip clubs. That's not right. my thing. And so we left to go out to Flying Saucer. And I remember telling everyone, like, we are not going to the strip club. Uh, and then the next thing I know, we're at the strip club. And I'm like, what happened? How did we end up here? Um, and I had fun hanging out with all the guys. But yeah, that's just not uh, that's not my thing at all. I Strip clubs have never been my thing either. Uh, but so many people in my party do love them, including like my wife uh, loves strip clubs much more than I do. There was one in Los Angeles uh, that was uh, known for uh, being uh, like the most artsy version you could get of it. It was a lot of people <laughs> that like were into like new age, new age dance and things like that and, and interpretive dance and so on and so forth. Uh, and that included some people that my wife went to like theater grad school with. So like it was a place that she knew and, and like she had friends and, and they were, you know, really good at what this was like in a technically proficient way like it was closer to Cirque du Soleil uh than than a, a strip club off the interstate uh and one of the things that I loved so much about the place uh that she would drag me to uh, uh was that there was a a jukebox there uh and people could put songs on and oh, it man. was clear that like people had developed dance routines to most of the songs and that <laughs> jukebox included 
uh, Iron Butterflies in Agata Davida, the uh, the eighteen minute track, and to oh, see man. somebody like hear the song come on and know that they have like an eighteen minute routine inside of them that ebbs and flows is <laughs> like there there is a level of of artisanship here that you just have to step away and appreciate. Oh man, I I love the idea of the jukebox there. That's fantastic. So, what is the situation for beer right now? Beer is weird right now, to put it lightly. Um, you know, as you've seen, a lot of folks have uh, closed their tap rooms, you know, to comply with uh, local and national health official guidance or, or mandates by, by the government, which I think is fine. Uh, a lot of people have pivoted to doing uh, to-go sales or delivery sales. That's what we're doing uh, at Four Hands at the Brewery in St. Louis. We're doing a lot of contactless curbside pickup. Yeah, um, I but think now that, with... uh, that, that's a great idea that, uh, you know, Everyone here seems to be out of beer, so, uh, oh, that, well, not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's about finding ways to not only survive, but also ways that um, I hope that breweries learn from what's happening right now and find ways to diversify what it is they're doing. I think a lot of people refer to it as the own premise, where, like, you sell all of your beer on premise at your brewery, um, you have total control of the way it's served, and... Uh, stored and all that and that's great but then also you're finding ways to reach customers who maybe just want to drop by and grab really fresh beer from the brewery but that wasn't an option before and and now there's so many things especially locally distilleries and breweries that are pivoting to like making hand sanitizer and things like that so there's there's an element of it that that diversification uh, seems to extend beyond just the original product and into what if we also provided a community service exactly and and Sure, hand sanitizer and selling that and monetizing that is a way to survive financially and a way to support your employees and keep more people on staff and paid, but it, it is a way to give back. And, it's, you know, we just shipped our, our first um, load of hand sanitizer jugs to our distributor here in the Kansas City area, and those are available to go out to, um, you know, bars and restaurants and liquor stores. And it, it's interesting to, to look at the, the pricing of it. I did some research yesterday just to kind of be prepared to talk about it. And price per ounce, um, breweries and distilleries are much, much lower than what you're seeing on, on Amazon and other online retailers right now by a lot. I did not know that. <laughs> I, I was shocked. I mean, there, there are certainly people who are taking advantage of the situation and gouging online, but I was really happy to see that uh, for the most part, we were on average like 25% uh, of, of the cost. So we're, I'm seeing prices that are four times more per ounce than what we're selling ours for. And still turning a profit and keeping people with health insurance and yep. helping the community. Like that's, that's incredible. But also, you know, that you could like triple your price and still be a good person. <laughs> right, right. There's room there for folks who run a liquor store, folks who run a bar to buy our sanitizer and sell it for them to make a profit while still charging a reasonable price to consumers. Now, in the in the brewery world, like everything is already so highly sanitized in in general, did that does that make it easier uh, to continue producing beer, or is are there new layers of safety that have to go into that? Like if I, I assume that beer, despite having to wipe down like every uh, giant uh, container, that like still like social distancing must make it harder uh, to do that production, or or does it not? <laughs> You know, we've, uh, at the brewery in St. Louis, they've implemented shift work. Uh, so there's not a lot of crossover between uh, the crews. Uh, so everybody's wiping down surfaces. But yeah, on, on the back of the house of the brewery, people have said for years that, that brewing is, you know, 90% cleaning. So uh, brewers are already 
able to deal with the high level of sanitation and standards required to do this. Um, what's cool about making hand sanitizer, or if you uh, look at what, what happens in distilleries, you're, they're essentially making sanitizer anyway. The, the ABV level of some of the stuff that comes off the still at the beginning of the run is so high that you can use that as sanitizer to sanitize hard surfaces to begin with. So it's not so much about uh, increasing the level of sanitation there, but just kind of keeping sort of a through line on the effort required to make clean beer certainly you know carries over to uh, production of hand sanitizer and production of uh, spirits and, and, and liquor in, in that regard. I'm thinking of the Parks and Rec episode where uh, Ron Swanson's uh, family moonshine uh, he recommends that no one drink it because it's used to strip barnacles off boats. So that, that tracks to me. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's, it's weird if you go to like Jay Rieger or if you go to our distillery, you can see the, the tanks that the distilleries use to ferment their booze are open because they're going to distill it and sanitize it all anyway. And then once you pull the, um, the alcohol or ethanol off the still, it sort of serves as its own sanitizer vessel to vessel. It's, it's a weird thing seeing how that works coming from the brewing side of, uh, the production background to see that it feels dirty, but then you think about how high the ABV is and you realize it doesn't matter as, as much because it is taking care of killing off anything that might have been able to take up residence in the tanks. That's that's fascinating. <laughs> it, it's dorky, but it, it is wild to see it in, in uh, you know, in real life, how, how things are working. Now, the people I've talked to have, have sort of uh, read into that part of, of the, uh, the stay at home uh, where it's time to finally uh, crack open that set of weird beers that you've had at the back of the fridge for like yeah. a year and you were just like, I don't know, like it's, it's some sort of limited edition sour that a friend brought to a party and you were like, ah, I don't think I'll ever drink. I'll keep it. But like, what's uh, what's at the, what's been at the back of your fridge or do you have uh, such a, a beautiful supply that you are just uh, coasting along pretty well here? I, I'm, I have a lot of shame in my house as far as beer goes. My trouble is I acquire beer at a much faster rate than I'm able to drink it. So I don't necessarily <laughs> collect. I don't. And people say, try harder, Danner. Um, I don't I don't necessarily store and age beer on purpose, but I just have so much that I acquire when I travel or that someone gives me as a gift or that I trade out. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a lot, uh, but I also have a, a pretty good amount of fresh beer that I'm also drinking. Yeah, but beer dorks, and that's a term I use lovingly and include myself in that, we do this weird thing where we buy a bottle and we say, I'm going to hold on to this for a special occasion. And then maybe you've had a few beers on a Tuesday night and you look at it and you're like, ah, not tonight, like you're special. But then I think right now people are realizing like, times are weird. I'm special enough to drink this beer on a Tuesday night and I don't need an occasion. The occasion is that I'm alive, <laughs> I'm healthy, I'm thirsty, I have this beer. So... I have a lot of uh, a lot of big stouts and a lot of uh, sours that I kind of hold on to on accident. So yeah, I might have a couple regular beers and then I reach for that fancy bottle that's in the back of my fridge or I, I put one from the shelf into the fridge. But yeah, you have to you have to drink your beer at some point. The uh, the bottle in my house uh, that has for eight or nine months now served as the whatever you do, don't get desperate enough to open this. Uh, so it's a it's a good last checkpoint uh, for me uh, on a bad night. Uh, is is a bottle of the Kansas City barbecued flavored vodka uh, that was being sold last summer. Yeah, uh, I grabbed a bottle of it uh, because a friend of mine that lives in Los Angeles could not believe it existed, and I was like, "His birthday's coming up. I'm going to send it to him. This is going to be great." And then I found out, uh, which I'd not known previously, that it, you can't mail 
liquor. I, I did not know that that was an issue. And I went to various liquor stores and I was like, could you mail this on my behalf? And they were like, in no way will we do that. And so now it just, uh, it sits on the wine rack waiting for Zach to come visit one day. And so I'm, I'm just always like, whatever you do, Brock, don't dip into the barbecue vodka. It's, it's, it's for the most special occasion, uh, which is somebody trekking to the Midwest. <laughs> I, would, I would never advise anyone to break the law, but um, I, I do have friends when they, when they mail beer and they ask, what's in the box? They say barbecue sauce. And that's a really normal thing to mail from Kansas City that, that feels like a liquid in a box and has some slosh, but uh, I, I personally, I would feel okay I, I, I don't with risk it, it because technically this is barbecue liquid. You're not lying, right? I'm not lying. I but the problem yeah. is I, I considered trying to do that, but it is impossible to find barbecued flavored vodka from Kansas City anymore. So if if the bottle was taken, right. I can't replace it. <laughs> My problem with that too is I'm a horrible liar. <laughs> so I, I, I don't I I so I just don't do it. I've I always am trying been to picture you uh, pulling a fib, and and you are just too good-hearted for that. I don't know if I'm too good-hearted. I just I suck at it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to set an example for your uh, your tiny roommate. Uh, for people yeah. that don't know, who is uh, the tiny roommate that you're always referring to in your social media? <laughs> so we have a, uh, a now seven-year-old son named Cooper, and when he was first born. Someone congratulated me on uh, the tiny roommate. And I was like, holy crap, I'm stealing this. So for years, he was the tiny roommate. And then he's not so tiny anymore. Uh, so he's the small roommate. And I think at some point, he, he's a big guy. I measured his height a couple weeks ago. And he's, he's on the tall side for a nine-year-old. And he just turned seven. So at some point, he's just going to be the roommate. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's funny to refer to him. Uh, in, in that way on, on social media and sort of protect his identity a little bit. But at the same time, I think it, it's just a funny, uh, it's a funny construct to keep up as far as the joke goes. And whenever I say the small roommate now, people know that I'm talking about uh, our, our son. It, 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 it's been a, a bittersweet run of, of small roommate uh, content lately because he just had a birthday and you guys celebrated by setting up a giant yard celebration of spelling out happy birthday in his name. And yeah, and he, there's video of him like prancing through it, but also uh, you're posting a lot of like time hop pictures to like this time last year when you and him got to go to like baseball games every week right. and things like that. And, and there's, there's such a sense that like, especially for a kid, what is, what is this time period going to be like? Like how traumatizing is it? How weird is it for them? Is it more weird for them than it is for adults? Like, especially to be of the age that you're aware that this isn't normal, but you might spend like 10% of your life uh, to this point, like doing this thing where you don't get to see other people. It's, it's weird, man. Um, we weren't sure how to talk about it with them at first. And I kind of asked some friends, you know, how, how are you talking about this with your kids? It was unique for us because we were on a family trip right before everything kind of went down and everything got serious and lockdowns. And we weren't necessarily denying the fact that we were coming back to reality, but we sort of delayed it a little bit. So we did talk about, you know, how do we how do we plan this reentry and what do we do? And we realized that, um, and I think this is applies to a lot of people, not to put so much pressure on ourselves to handle this perfectly, because this is something that we've not experienced as adults. So certainly... We, we can't be expected to handle it perfectly with him, but I, I'm fortunate that I've been able to stay home with him and work on a schoolwork with him and play video games and hang out and try to help him be uh, a normal kid. But that's not to say there aren't moments where we both kind of recognize the situation. He's definitely had moments where 
you know, he looks at me and he, but you know, some tears stream down his face and he goes, I don't know how to live normally anymore. And I'm like, Oh my God, buddy, you know, me neither. I don't, I don't know what normally is right now. And I'm not trying to, I I don't want to, I want to shelter him, but I also don't want to lie to him because everything is not okay. We're, we're in a weird transitional period um, as far as the way we interact socially and getting back to business and the economy and weighing that over human life. And it's super tricky. So I don't want to talk about all of it with him, but at the same time, I want him to recognize like, yeah, this is uncharted territory for me and I don't have the playbook. So we're just trying to to have fun and and do normal stuff. But also when he does express those emotions and those feelings, they're valid because I think we're all, we're all thinking that in, in some way. And I think we've all had those days where we're just like, what is happening? You know, like, is this real? Are we going to wake up and it's a, it's a weird two month long dream or, or what's going to happen tomorrow. It, it, it's just wild seeing that through his eyes, but then also trying to, trying to grow through it as a parent while I'm also dealing with it. Speaking of parenting, I've, I've wanted to ask for a while now. He's, he's the, the small roommate and he is, uh, you know, you, you have your career. At what age does he get to have his first beer? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that he's never had beer. Um, okay. <laughs> I think um, for me, when he was old enough to ask for a taste, that's when I felt he was old enough to have a tiny taste of beer. That's not to say that I'm serving him beer, but we also, when we have a glass of wine or a beer or a cocktail, and you know, hey, what are you drinking? I'll tell him, oh, this is uh, Incarnation. It's the IPA that Four Hands makes. Um, I think it's really fruity. I get a lot of pineapple. Do you want to smell it? And he's usually like, oh, I'll smell it. And sometimes he might have a taste, but... Uh, I think it's in, again, I think everybody should parent how they want to, but I think it's interesting when, you know, parents will say, oh, this is mommy juice or daddy juice and put this weird, um, taboo on it. Um, you know, his entire life I've, I've worked for breweries since he was born and my wife Randall has been in, um, you know, bar management and restaurant management overseeing food and beverage programs. So, um, alcohol is a part of our life. Uh, and that's not to say, I probably, you know, I know for certain that I drink way less than people think I do. I think people imagine it's just like a beer fest all the time at my house. That, that lack of, of the taboo presentation, like, it feels like between the two of you uh, and having to do your careers and, and being honest with him, that, like, he's going to grow up with an, a naturally good, like, appreciation for uh, for tolerance and, and knowing <laughs> not to overdo it, but also, like, you're also training him to be able to appreciate uh, all the elements of the flavoring. And like by the time he hits high school and as it is at a kegger where there's Bud Light, like you just know he's going to pass on it. Like you're you're going to raise a beer snob and that's going to protect him from a lot of stupid situations. I, I hope that he sees, you know, moderation being key. Uh, years ago, I, I had him down at Boulevard. I went down there uh, on a Saturday afternoon just to have a beer and we went over to the, the brewery and the cellar and there was a, a really delicious coffee stout that was in a tank and I I you know took a sniff and took a sip and I hey smell this buddy and I hand him the glass and he smells it and he hands it back to me he goes dad I don't like coffee beer and I hadn't told <laughs> I hadn't told him what it was but he, he smelled oh it and God. knew I knew it was a coffee beer and everyone around cracked up and I'm like well, that's pretty good you know he knows what he doesn't like and uh but yeah like I'm not handing him a beer that's not happening but we do talk about it um, like it's food you know uh, well, tell me about your podcast. So, yeah, I have a podcast on uh, the 610 
their sports radio, they have a, a podcast network called the 435 Podcast Network. I was approached by them oh, a little bit over a year ago uh, asking if I wanted to host a podcast that focused on Kansas City and sort of the people who live and work in Kansas City and make it great and sort of the celebration of the town. Uh, and I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, so the podcast is called I Love This Town. And right now I haven't been able to add any new episodes uh, because of the, the pandemic. But um, I think I have six episodes chatting with folks. Um, I started with Joel Goldberg, who is one of the Fox Sports Kansas City broadcasters for uh, Royals games and just a really awesome dude. And I, I want to talk to people about sort of their experiences in Kansas City. And it talks a lot about food and drink, but we also talk culture. We talk some politics and sort of some uh, humanitarian issues. It's, it's on the lighter side, but at the same time, I don't want to be afraid to talk about things that matter. But it's, it's definitely not a political commentary podcast. For me, it's more, it's, it's a conversation with folks that I think are cool, that are doing cool things in Kansas City. I, I don't ever want it to come across like I'm interviewing them. I, I want it to be just this chat that happens to focus on uh, what's awesome about Kansas City. And fortunately, there's a ton of material out there. You, uh, you came on a podcast that I do with my wife, uh, and uh, she fri- finds your friendship uh, a source of extreme frustration. Uh, a few years ago, my wife uh, discovered that she was gluten intolerant, uh, which was difficult because she was the beer snob in the relationship, and I understand absolutely nothing about beer. Uh, so when you come over, you bring samples of, of so many wonderful things. And uh, she tries to live vicariously through my experience, experience and I'll, I'll have a sip and be like, I don't know, it tastes like uh, beer. And, uh, tastes like good, like, well, yeah. No, what, what does it have hints of? I was like, hints of, of beer. I, I, I think it's good, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think there are different levels of appreciation for beer. And I think people who identify as beer snobs or are a little more aggressive about their, uh, their love of beer... They, they want to find ways to diminish others' enjoyment. But I think if you, uh, I'll use homebrewing as an example. You know, somebody hands you a bottle of homebrew. Is this good? And I'll ask them, well, do you enjoy it? And they go, I do. And I go, then it's good. If, if you enjoy a beer, then, a, a, you know, in a very subjective sense, it is good. And you could talk about objective quality and how it relates to personal preference. But I don't, I don't want to mystify beer in such a way that, you know, it requires this high level of knowledge to enjoy if, I think if you can if you can open a beer and put it to your mouth and you like it, that's the whole point. Jeremy, how can people support you and uh, and the Forehands? You know, um, we are distributed pretty widely throughout the Kansas City area. You can find us in a lot of liquor stores. Um, soon, we'll be back on tap in, in bars and restaurants. And I think the, the best way to do that is to go out to the, the store and you know buy a few different beers of ours that you like. Build a, a mixed six pack. Um, if you Love one of our beers, and maybe your favorite restaurant or bar doesn't have it on tap. Politely ask them to carry it, and, and once they do, please drink it. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. Uh, the brewery is uh, at Forehands Brewing Co. Uh, on, on most uh, platforms, and then I'm Jeremy underscore Danner on Twitter. That's probably my favorite uh, social media platform. I, I think it's this great ongoing conversation that um, we can share, and I talk about. My dogs, music, beer—you know, kind of, kind of everything. It's not all beer all the time, for sure. Now, see, I don't want to send anyone your way because uh, there is already an issue. But uh, I, I tend to love and always appreciate uh, your Facebook feed uh, because, as a brewmaster and 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 a, a celebrity about town, uh, you've acquired a, a lot of friends over the years. 
that really, really do not share your uh, your political stances. And no, <laughs> and each time you uh, you take uh, what I would consider fairly mild, uh, accurate statements uh, or share just bits of news. There's almost certainly someone that shows up that the first question everyone has uh, in the comment thread is like, why are you friends? And I know why you're friends, because, you know, in the in the beer world, I'm sure that uh, you aren't having the same conversations all the time. And sure. then somebody doesn't know what they got into. Uh, and oh, boy, uh, there's just a, a lot of a lot of bad statements in there, a lot of misinformed people. <laughs> And, uh, and and usually it ends with them uh, then leaving you alone as per your request. Uh, but uh, yeah, don't don't add Jeremy on Facebook. He's already got <laughs> enough air quotes friends there. Uh, and it's a bit of a hellscape. It'll make you angry. <laughs> it's it's weird as someone who is, you know, in the public eye and a public figure representing whatever people want me to represent. I, I do try to take those stances where. Certainly, there's not a logical counterpoint to this, and you're right. It's uh, it's it's a it's a ride, man. <laughs> you're you're so rarely doing something that's uh, emotional. Like, uh, I I hate everyone who feels this way, and if you voted for that guy, like unfriend me. Uh, it's just yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward stuff that you would think. Certainly, no one can argue. <laughs> with, say, this video clip of this real thing that happened. Right. This is reality presented without commentary. And, I, yeah, it's uh, the Facebook's a weird place, man. Well, uh, good luck continuing to be the face and the fake news of the of the brewing world. Jeremy, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, man. Always, always fun talking to you, dude. Thanks, Jeremy. That was great. Okay, that was this week's episode of Streetwise from the Pitch for Kansas City. If you'd like to support what we do, come by thepitchkc.com. Check out all the news and opinion stuff that we are putting out there in the world right now. There's buttons everywhere to donate to our cause to keep us alive so we can keep doing this for you. Uh, I really appreciate everyone who's written in and has had such nice things to say. A woman that has started making masks uh, for the community, sent me a letter to the office this week uh, that uh, sent along a couple of masks just for me. Uh, and uh, I wasn't there at the office because we have one guy there who's just making sure everything keeps running. Uh, but uh, at some point, I will get those masks. And uh, boy, I appreciate it. I love seeing everyone come out and be so cool in this community. Uh, please subscribe to this show. Please share it with other people. But uh, also, just remember that we're here, and if you ever can, chip in a few. The new issue of our magazine is out in the world right now, and if you don't feel like tracking one down on the street, uh, it's up online at our site. You can read the digital version. Uh, it's a really, really good one. And today is actually deadline for next month's uh, issue, so I've got to get back to work right away because it's just going to be uh, a living hell for the rest of my day. So thank you for listening. Pitch in, and we'll make it through.